0: Well, friends, I'm a bit of a list person. I don't know if you are. I am. Uh, I plan a list of things that I need to do each term. I then break that down into a list for what I need to do each week, which then becomes a list of what I need to do each day. My list, to-do lists, help to keep me organised. Lists can be great. What about this list? If you were going to list everyone here this morning, you're going to put us all in a list. And at the top of your list are all the people that you want to be with, the people you like, the people you want to impress, the people that you would love to have over for dinner, the people that you like to be around. That's the top of your list. And down the bottom of the list are the people here that you don't really want to be with, the people you wouldn't have over for dinner, the people you don't or won't talk to. Now, we would never say that list out loud... But I'm pretty sure most of us could come up with that list, or at least the beginnings of that list. There's some people here we'd have at the top, and some of us here we'd have at the bottom. And friends, the fact that we can do that shows that we need to listen very hard to what James has to say to us this morning. We're up to chapter 2, and right from verse 1, James puts it on the line for us. This is what the chapter is all about. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Could you begin the list? Well, James says that's not a good sign. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, why is James suddenly zeroing in on favouritism here in chapter 2? Well, if you can recall from last week, James, remember, wrote his letter to spur Christians on to keep going in their faith in Christ as they face trials. And the particular trials that James has in mind are the trials of us being tempted to sin by our own desires. So you've got it again, remember? You're following Jesus, your faith is in him, but your evil desires are tempting you to sin, to turn your back on Jesus, to walk away from him. So how do you keep your faith in Jesus when you're tempted to sin? Well, James says, remember, reject your evil desires and instead listen to the word of God and do what he says. Now in chapters 2 to 5, James addresses some particular temptations, the specific temptations his original readers were dealing with and the first one James addresses is the temptation to show favouritism. For his original readers they were being tempted to show favouritism based on a person's wealth. Look at it there from verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James's original readers were being tempted to show favouritism towards the rich, to treat the rich well but to neglect those in the church who are poor. And friends, before we wave our self-righteous fingers at them, you know, we wouldn't do that. You know, we wouldn't favour the rich over the poor, and I certainly hope we wouldn't. But what if a poor, shabby, smelly, homeless man came into our meeting and chose to sit next to you? Picture him. Smell him. A bedraggled, unkempt, poor man with the stench of unwashedness plonks himself down beside you just as church is starting. You got him? Can you smell him? How are you feeling? You smiling? You saying hello? You're extending the warm handshake of friendship? Are you engaging in conversation? You're finding out who he is and how he is? Are you working out how you could have him over for a meal? Or are you sitting there quietly looking straight ahead, making sure you don't make eye contact so you don't have to talk to him? Are you desperately wishing he would move somewhere else? Are you angry and frustrated inside that he chose to sit next to you because, you know, why me? Why didn't he sit over there? There's plenty of other seats available. In all honesty, maybe you could see yourself just quietly getting up and moving away, pretending you've got to go and speak to somebody else. What is going on in your heart right now? Tempted to show favoritism? Friends, remember from last week what James says about when we're tempted to sin. Can you remember what he says? It's surprising. He says, consider it pure joy. Because when you're tempted to sin, it is an opportunity to develop perseverance in your faith as you choose to reject your evil desires and instead to replace them with the word of God and to do what he says instead of following your desires. So if that's what we're to do, reject their evil desires, cling to the word of God, do what, he, what is God's word when it comes to showing favoritism. Well, very simply from verse 1, God says, don't show favoritism. And in verses 5 to 13, we're given two reasons why favoritism is wrong. And the first is that showing favoritism, particularly to the rich over the poor, that it's just out of step with God. Okay? It's cutting right against the grain of what God is doing in the world. Look at it there from verse 5. Verse 5, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. See, when it comes to the rich and the poor, what's God doing? Well, he's choosing the poor to be his people, to include the poor in the riches of his kingdom and so to disregard the poor That would be to neglect the very people God is choosing for himself. To favour the rich over the poor is to be right out of step with God himself. But more than that, showing favouritism is just plain disobeying the God that you belong to. This is James' second reason why favouritism is wrong. It is an act of disobedience to the Lord God himself. Look at it there now in verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. God's word to us is that we are to love our neighbours. Now our neighbours, they may be rich, they may be poor, they may be black, they may be white, they may be straight, they may be gay. It doesn't matter, it's very simple. Love your neighbour. All of them. Not just the ones you want to, not just the ones you like, not just the ones that suit you or that might be good for you. It is simply love your neighbour. Showing favouritism is not loving your neighbour, it's loving some of your neighbours and that's not what God says. Verse 9 again, If you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And to break any of God's laws is to make you guilty before God. Look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Showing favoritism is to break God's law. It's disobedience to the God you belong to. It's not just out of step with God. It's to defy your God. Now, friends, I'm sure most, at least most of us can agree with all of this, can't we? You know, we recognise it's wrong to show favouritism. We don't like it when people show favour to others over us. We know favouritism is wrong. In theory, we agree with all of this, don't we? But James isn't dealing with theory. He's talking about actually living this out. Because it's possible to agree with all of this in our heads... You know, yes, yes, James, we're on board with this, got this. And yet for that to be where it stops, you know, where you hear this word of God, but you don't actually do what it says. And James wants us to be crystal clear. If you say that your faith is in Christ, then that actually means not showing favoritism. This is what the second half of the chapter is all about. James is moving us out of just agreeing with this in theory and moving us into putting it into practice. Because faith, real faith in Christ, leads to action. But to say that you trust in Christ, but then not do what he says, well, James is very clear, that's not real faith at all. Because faith without deeds, that's useless. James's word is, it's dead. Look at it there in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. James here is railing against empty words. You find out this morning over morning tea that someone in your church has no food and all you can come up with is go I wish you well keep warm and well fed but you don't actually do anything to help them your words they are simply empty hollow and useless. Just like saying your faith is in Christ, but you don't actually do what he says, your words are empty, your faith is dead. How can you say that you trust in Jesus to be your saviour, to be your Lord, you trust in Jesus to be your God? How can you say that if you won't do what he says? And he says, don't show favouritism. And to muscle the point home, James now gives four examples to help us to see that real faith is always accompanied by action. The first example is quite surprising. Uh, James reaches for the demons of all things. Look at it there in verse 19. Show me your faith with our deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Saying that you believe in God but not acting on that belief, well, you're as good as the demons. You know, they believe that there's one God, but they still don't do what he says. So saying your faith is in Christ but not doing what he says, well, you're as good as a demon. The next example is Abraham. Uh, now, he said he believed God and you could tell. Because he did what God said. Verse 20. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Uh, You can read about this in Genesis 15 through to 22. Uh, Abraham's promised by God he'll have a son. uh, And through this son, God will bless the world. Eventually, God does give Abraham a son. His name is Isaac. But then God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham doesn't really get it, but he's willing to obey God because he trusts him to keep his promises. And so Abraham gets everything ready to sacrifice Isaac, but then God stops him just before he goes through with it. And the simple point is this. You could tell Abraham trusted God because he was willing to do what God said. Verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, when you trust God, you obey him. Faith and actions, trust and obey, they just go hand in hand. Just look at Abraham or Rahab. She's James's next example, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Uh, You can read about this one in Joshua chapter 2. This is the time of Israel coming out of Egypt and God is about to give them the promised land. Uh, The first city they're going to conquer is Jericho. So the Israelites send some spies into Jericho before they attack. However, the city officials in Jericho get wind of it. And so they start a manhunt to try and find these spies so they can kill them. But Rahab, a prostitute that's in the city, she finds the spies first. Now she's become a believer in Israel's God. She trusts that the God of Israel is the true God. And so what does she do? Well, instead of handing the spies over to her countrymen, Rahab hides the spies. She sends the Jericho soldiers on a wild goose chase and the spies live to tell the tale. And again, James's point is simple. Real faith is always accompanied by action. Rahab trusted the God of Israel, so she hid the Israelite spies and kept them safe. James's last example is that of a dead body. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The day before my pop's funeral, uh, we were given a viewing of the body. It was the first time I had seen a corpse. It, it was very weird for me. Uh, pop's body was cold, didn't move. And I can remember they standing there in front of Pop's body thinking, That's not Pop. It it looks like Pop, but he's not there. Because it was just a body without Pop's spirit. The body, it was dead. And faith without deeds, that's just dead faith. Real, genuine faith in Christ will be seen in the way you obey Christ's word. Now, this principle applies in every area of the Christian life. But the particular issue James has on his radar is that of showing favoritism. Real, genuine faith in Christ means not showing favoritism because favoritism is out of step with God. Showing favoritism is just plain disobedience towards God and as those who trust him we do what he says and so as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ we don't show favoritism. So what will that look like? In what ways are we tempted to show favoritism here in our church? Well, the example James gave was that of a rich man and a poor man coming in to a church meeting, and we teased that one out a little bit earlier, but it's not just riches or poverty that could tempt us to show favouritism. We might be tempted to show favouritism based on a person's sexuality. So, a person who is homosexual, or LGBTQTI, they come into our church meeting and they're interested in what we do and in finding out about Jesus and at the same time a person who is straight comes into our meeting wanting to learn about Jesus. Well, would you be tempted to help the person who is straight but hope that someone else talks to the person who is LGBTQT or I? We can be tempted to show favouritism on the basis of wealth, sexuality, what about race? What if a person who is an indigenous Aboriginal sits next to you? Would you talk to them? Would you acknowledge them? What if they were a refugee from Iraq, come into our country with little English? Would you be willing to help them, to love them? Or would you be tempted to stick with a newcomer who's white? What about being tempted to show favouritism on the basis of religion, So two ladies come into our church meeting. One looks like she's been born and bred here. The other one's wearing a burqa. You're tempted to avoid the lady wearing the burqa? Tempted to show favouritism? We can even be tempted to show favouritism on the basis of a person's social ease. So over morning tea here, week by week, do you avoid the socially awkward people? You know, you're happy to talk to the people that you find it easy to relate to, but the harder people, well, someone else can look after them. Friends, we can be tempted to show favoritism on the basis of any number of things. Maybe you avoid the older people here in church, you know, because they're boring and tricky. You come to church because you're trying to find out who's going to be friends with you and the elderly. That's not going to happen, so you avoid them. Maybe you avoid the younger people here in church because they're boring and tricky. (laughs) Maybe you only ever talk to the same people. You effectively shut out everyone else because they're not in your already existing friend group. So you don't look out for new people. You don't even look out for the people that have been in church for years because you show favoritism to those few people that you already know. Maybe you only talk to married people because you're married. Maybe you only talk to single people because you're single. Brothers and sisters, for whatever reason, are you tempted to show favoritism among us, your church family? If so, remember what James said about being tempted to sin back in chapter 1. Consider it pure joy. When you're tempted to show favouritism, consider it joy because it is an opportunity to develop perseverance in your faith. It is an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and no to your evil desires. It's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith in Christ as you don't show favouritism. Now, in all this talk of not showing favouritism, I want to make something clear I'm not saying that you need to know everyone in church equally. I'm not saying that. You can't know everyone here. There's just too many of us. It's not about being equally connected. What I'm asking is if there are people you deliberately avoid, if there's people you deliberately favour over others, whether it's based on a person's wealth, sexuality, race, Religion, social ease, age, familiarity, married, single, brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. And let's not find excuses to worm our way around this. Because remember, faith without action, that's dead. And we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do have our faith in him. We believe in the one who came and died for us. Despite your sin, despite my filth, despite being totally abhorrent to him, the Lord Jesus Christ didn't just say hello. He died for us. He died for you, to love you, to serve you, to save you, to welcome you into his family. And so as believers in this glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we don't show favoritism. We don't want to worm our way out of this. And we also don't want to be token with this. So, you know, I spoke to that person over morning tea today. Glad I got that out of the way. Don't have to worry about that anymore. Okay, not showing favoritism is going to be more than just saying hello. It's going to be more than just chatting to someone over morning tea. It's about being willing to get to know them, to love them, to serve them, to meet with them, to eat with them, to get to know their friends. It's about genuine relationship, loving them truly just like Christ has done for us. Friends, for some of us, this may mean radical change, even just in the way we come to church, where we choose to sit. If you are tempted to show favouritism in any of the ways that I have mentioned or in any other way, do not merely listen to this word and so deceive yourself. James says, do what it says. You say your faith is in Christ, then show us your faith by what you do as a believer in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Don't show favouritism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are asking you, please, to give us humble hearts, Hearts that are ready to confess our sin to you if that is what's needed. Hearts that are ready to repent if that's what's needed. Hearts that are ready to gladly, willingly, wholeheartedly live by your word. Father, please keep us from holding back, from being reserved. But instead, Father, we ask that we might give ourselves to you. Our faith is in your son. So that, Father, we might live by what you have said. And so persevere in Christ with our faith in him until he comes again and takes us to be with you forever. Father, please do this good work in us and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.